Hey, y'all, if you're enjoying this podcast, take two seconds, send it to five friends. Um, some of the top episodes would be the self-confidence, masculinity, and the Byron Rogers podcast if you want to send uh, some of the top ones to them. Otherwise, just take 30 seconds and review it on whatever podcast uh, application you use, whether it be Spotify, YouTube, Google, iTunes, Amazon, any of them. Thank you. Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws... Well, they both look pretty badass, and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at AssaultLimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best kit secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3 eqip.com a3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion a lip balm a hair conditioner honestly anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3 eqip.com all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about Get squared away. Spiritual. Get squared away. Emotional. Get squared away. Mental. Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. All right, y'all. We're back with another episode of Squared Away, and we have uh, we have a pretty interesting guest this week. It is a friend of Martin's. This is this is Yessa, and I will let Yessa introduce herself and tell us. Uh, Tell us where she's from and, and why she's on this this podcast. Hi, everyone. My name is Yessa. I am originally from a Central Asian country that's, let's just say it's bordering Afghanistan within that region. I can't name it um, just yet. Maybe sometime I will once I'm, I'm done with some of the things. Um, I don't know how in-depth you want me to go into who I am as a person go. or should I just we'll, we'll get we can get into who you are as a person but let's get into um let's get into what what it was like when how old were you when you left I was 19 okay and did you leave by yourself or did your whole family leave I left by myself I was the first one okay then um let's get into what made you make that decision what was going on there that that you knew you had to leave sure so it's uh 
gosh, where do, where do I even start? Um, I guess I, I need to back up a little bit to summer of 2004. I used to live in a country called Uzbekistan, which is quite more progressive than the country I'm from. Um, and when I mention progressive, I, I, I know it has a negative maybe connotation here, but back there it's it's a it's a Muslim environment and so it's either you can I mean it could be as simple as having your hair down versus your hair has to be up, you have to wear a long dress, things like that. So in summer of two thousand four, we lived in Uzbekistan. My dad was a business owner and um it was summer Olympics when he disappeared. And um it was like, okay, a day or two went by, dad's not home. And then a week went by, a month went by, dad's not home, no one's working except for my dad. And so I had to figure out how to, I mean, literally bring food to, on the table. And so that was the scenario for a couple of months until a man showed up at our doorstep wearing my dad's jacket. It was a particular jacket with... um I don't know what's the what it's called in in English. La Costa, Lacoste, like the crocodile. Oh, Lacoste. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right. So he was wearing the jacket, and I knew it was my dad's because it's very particular. Um, he presented himself as a lawyer. He said my dad was in jail. He was um, he was at the border entering the country. He was crossing the border between Uzbekistan and our homeland. Let me just call it a homeland. Um, with a different passport, and they detained him. And they were accusing him of terroristic acts. They will have a national security agency, which is equivalent to, you know, like a blend of FBI and CIA. I don't know what you have as far as, I don't think we really have a national security agency per se. But that was the main division in that country that will be coming over to our house and will be questioning us and, you know, going through his stuff. So that was that. We sat down and, you know, kind of wondering how we're going to go through this whole process. And at the time, my parents were already divorced. They they happened to live together. So we just said, listen, we'll just say it's just me. And my mom and my siblings are in Russia. Um, my mom's Russian, by the way, so I'm half Russian, half Central Asian. Um, and this national security guy comes over. I pretend that, hey, I'm too young. I can't open the door. So he he gives uh, me the paviestka. It's like a, a notice to appear. So I basically have to go in and testify against my dad. So I show up with my textbooks thinking I'll just pretend I'm this, you know, dumb teenage kid. I don't know what's going on. And he spent hours with me just going through every bit of my life, who I am, why did we move to that country? What does my dad do? And everything was like allegedly approximately this year, this happened. And towards the end, and we I told him I don't know where my mom is. I haven't seen her, you know, with my siblings. They've been divorced. I only live with my dad. And when I was leaving, I was facing the door. And he said, oh, yeah, tell your mom she hides really well. And the shock, I guess, in my face gave it all away. I, they knew. I mean, they, 
that's what they do. And I was like, oh, shit. So I come home and we're like, what do we do? Because the next step would be they were supposed to come over to the house to look for dad's, you know, go through dad's documents and things like that. And sure enough, I think a couple of days later, it was like I, I walk into the house and it's six pairs of men's shoes lined up at the doorstep. And in our culture, you remove your shoes. You don't wear them in the house. And I'm like, hello, who's here? And my cousin runs out. She's like, you need to get out of here. They're here. They're going through stuff. Just go hide. I'll call you after they're done. And so by the evening, they they were gone. And I mean, they combed through everything. It was a mess. And later on, I got a notice to appear at a border town that's bordering my homeland and Uzbekistan, where I was a resident of. So in our culture, in our countries, rather, including Russia, you need to have a passport, number one. Nobody um, is walking without a passport. I mean, that's you could be jailed for that. And number two, you need to have a residency. It's like a stamp with your address on it. So my address was in that border town and they just said, listen, you just go to the border town for a day. We'll bribe the guy because that's a normal practice in our country. We'll bribe that guy. We'll send you back. You go finish your high school. And by that point, I was in 12th grade. I was in uh, American school, by the way. So I go in with, you know, whatever I had on thinking, okay, it's just going to take me a day or two. And I stayed with in the house with my, my aunt lives in that border town. And that took us four months because the guy kept dragging on the process. And that's part of the way that they work out there. Like the psychological torture is they usually, they tell you to show up and they make you wait for a full day, just let's say outside. And then they, you know, they come outside at like 6 PM and they say, show up next time. And then the next day and the next day and the next day. And that's just part of their technique where you just get to a point where you're so overwhelmed and you're exhausted. You'll do anything they want just for it to end. And so that took us four months um, just sitting at that border waiting for the guy. Um, the guy wanted $3,000 from what I remember. And dad, by that point, dad was deported to our homeland. Dad sent the money to my uncle. To pay the guy and um, I remember they were driving me to the guy or that's what I thought when they took me to the border handed me over to authorities uh, of the other country um, and they brought me to this it looked like a trailer like a construction trailer just shorter and it was like these four tall military guys yelling at me in foreign language, asking me to sign something. And um, I signed it, and later I found out it was act of deportation for 10 years. So they just passed me over without anything, with no paperwork. They bring me to this detention center. Um, it was just this open room with a metal bed. I don't know if you've ever seen like a Soviet-style bed. It's called Koika. They sat me on it. I for sure thought I was going to be raped. So they sit me on it. I'm 17. It's 2004. I was 17 at the time. 
So I'm waiting for the guy that's supposed to be questioning me. And they bring in these two guys. Um, their eyes were bound and they their hands were tied behind their backs. So they, they kneeled them in front of me, which I, I still don't know what was what was that i think if they just detained them so i don't know what they were doing with them but they left them there and after that they took them away and the guy brought me in and the way he was talking to me i could tell he dealt with my dad because my dad never took shit from anyone he was very proud man he's like you're so-and-so's daughter i can tell and i'm like oh shit i'm about to <laughs> get the wrath of the guy that my dad mouthed off to or whatever he did. And sure enough, he spent hours with me just going through just the most random things. Like they make you open your diary. And back then I already knew English. So I would write diary in English because it was easier than Russian. And he would make me translate everything and go through all of that. And then I used to paint and he would walk through my paintings. Why did you pick this color? Why are you painting that? And it was just so exhausting. It was like he was waiting for me to break down, which I did. And then I asked him, um, I deserve a phone call. You know, like the American movies. I don't know if yeah. it's true or not. But I'm like, I deserve a phone call. Give me an opportunity for a phone call. <laughs> and the shock in his face, I don't think he expected it. But he's like, uh okay <laughs> so he agreed um i don't know how i remember my grandpa's phone number because where they deported me to is our homeland and it's the border town where my grandpa lived and my grandpa was a very famous man there he's a former kgb officer world war ii veteran so we have a lot of respect for that's in in our countries and so Again, I don't know how I remembered his phone number after so many years, but I remembered it. I dialed it and I said, Grandpa, I'm I'm at this detention center. They don't have anything for me. If you don't get me out, I don't know what's going to happen. And my grandpa, like, no, oh, my God, my granddaughter, none of that. Right. And there's more to the story, like related to my family that we maybe get can get to. But he's like, listen, I just burned my hand. Your dad is here drunk. We're not getting you. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm like, Grandpa, if you don't get me out of here, I'm going to die here. And I guess maybe I sounded so serious. He's like, fine, give him the, the phone. So he talks to the guy. And my grandpa usually goes through the spiel of, I'm a war veteran. I'm a former KGB. This is my granddaughter. I'll vouch for her. She can stay with me. I'm going to come and get her. So they're like, fine but she needs to be under house arrest with you until we get some kind of a paperwork identification, whatever. So he shows up and, and it's true. Like, I mean, his hand was like just meat. I mean, there was like no skin on it. So he wasn't lying about that. So he brings me home. I see my dad for the first time in months. Um, he's drunk and I'm, I'm crying. I haven't seen my dad for, you know, for a while. And, his first words to me were like, why are you crying? It's not Africa. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, this is so bizarre. I just lost everything I have. I lost what I call my home. I don't have anything with me. 
my family is out there. I'm deported for 10 years. I didn't finish high school. And I used to be an atheist. And in that moment, just, I, I can't imagine any going any lower where I said, surely there's something else to this life because I, I just cannot imagine that this is it. That anything can be taken away from you within, within days, within months. So what is left? And so I call my mom and I tell her, and she's like, when are you coming home? I'm like, mom, I'm deported. This is it. Like, I'm not coming home. And to her credit, she went silent. She's like, don't worry, we'll come and get you. <laughs> so um, the backstory of my mom, she moved to Uzbekistan without proper paperwork. So she was there illegally and crossing back uh, legally wasn't an option. So they had to come to the home, to our country um, through what we call the black route. The black route takes about three, four days. It's, um, they build these like three, three foot houses where you cross it and you hide in them until it's clear to, to cross the rest of the route because they shoot on site. They don't detain you and then after 10 days you're free to go it's completely different dynamic there and so that was the first time I said okay if there's something out there please help me get my family out and it took her a week with no money um so I had to pay I I, I don't remember where I got the money from but I, I paid for their route I guess you call them coyotes so the guy brought them in it was my two siblings and my mom just covered in dirt um, but we reunited and that was in Turkmenistan in oh God, 2000 so I moved here 2007 that was like 2005 and from there on my high school teacher who was from Indiana was trying to help me get into college in the U.S. which the only university that took me in was Vincennes University in Vincennes, Indiana, just like a two, small two-year college that said, listen, we'll give you a chance. You have to prove yourself and, and then we'll go from there, which great, done. That's all I needed. And so from there on, that's how I, I left. I mean, I practically ran away. My dad didn't know. Um, my dad was uh, also an alcoholic, like a very aggressive alcoholic. So I just, I said, to get the family out, I, I need to do something more than what we can do here. So I was the first one. And then eventually I was able to get everyone out one by one. What was the process to get here from there? So the only way you could truly leave is... Um, if it's a student visa and rarely a visitor visa, and you need to prove that you are coming back. So the way you prove it, you get a return ticket, you show them the proof that you paid for it, um, showing the proof of property, that you own property and you are coming back for your property. So that, that was my way. I, I got a student visa, I had, Technically, I had property under my name because my dad was a former businessman. Um, so we still had a couple of properties, and one of it was in my name. So I showed that as a proof. That's how I left. And then when I was getting my mom out, my mom was 
my mom was in horrible condition when I moved her out. She was a former heroin addict turned alcoholic, but on paper, she still owns property. So that's what I used to get her out. I mean, I asked my friend to borrow jewelry and clothes just to present her well. Um, and we just said, hey, we're visiting. I mean, she said she's visiting me in the US. She's gonna you know, go see Disneyland, bring in her son, which is my brother. He was 10 at the time. And they had returns tickets as well. And then once they landed here, we claimed um, asylum. So what what was your home country like that they ended up having to like, I, I think this is something that, that people in the United States don't understand, but like you just said, we could not leave unless we had a student visa or a visitor visa. This isn't like the United States where like somebody doesn't stop you from leaving. You can go wherever you want. Right. You might not get into that country, but like you can leave whenever you want. So for a country to have policies in place that stop their citizens from being able to leave the country, mm-hmm. what is going on in that country that, it, that it's that bad? It's not just you can't leave the country. You cannot even cross to the next city if you wanted to. There's border patrol at the border of, at the border of each city. So like that border town, if you're crossing over to the capital state, um, I don't know what equivalency to give you except for California, right? If you're crossing from Los Angeles County line to Long Beach County line, there would be a checkpoint and they go through your car, they go through your property, you need to have your passport on you. Um, I remember if you were traveling with the computer, you had to have a computer passport, which is like, what the fuck is a computer passport? Nobody knows, but that's the law. And you just have to make some shit up that, yes, this is your computer and this is the computer password. I remember it because that's what happened to us. And it was absurd. Um, the control of information and the policing of the the citizens is so strong and present. You're just, if you're born in it, you don't question it. And that's why when I moved to US, I mean, to this day, this is, it's like a dream. This isn't hardship. I mean, every day I was like, wow, this is cafeteria. Like I imagine, I remember rather people complaining about cafeteria food. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Cafeteria food? You have varieties of yogurt and milk and then they weigh it they weigh the plate you don't pay it by ages you're just to me it was just like mind-blowing how how different it was um and to that and also to that point like one of the things that happened to my mom my mom was jailed three times um mainly it was because number one she's slavic like she looks lighter she looks russian and number two, um, she's Christian. So you wearing the cross, you're immediately a target, um, especially after the Soviet Union fell apart. Now it became very nationalistic and it's like the national pride um, of that country really took over. So the youth really started believing it. In this particular country, the president at the time wrote a book uh, called The Soul of the People, of Those People. And 
they canceled several subject lines in schools and just taught that school, uh, taught that book rather. So you had to memorize the book. If you wanted to get a driver's license, you had to pass the test based on the book. If you wanted to get into university, if you wanted to get hired, you had to pass a, an exam based on that book. And I'll send you a copy of the book because it's translated into English. They actually launched it into space because of because he he thought, hey, I should share this with the rest of the world. Um, and it's just, it's he rewrote the history, and it's. It, it's so absurd. I, I I just don't know how to describe it to you. I mean, there's things like a woman should not wear makeup because women of our culture are very beautiful as it is. Um, there's things about Christians and it's very Muslim heavy because it's a Muslim country. Um, gosh, I'm trying to remember some of the crazy things that, that are in that book. Oh, he renamed... Um, the days of the week after his family members, for example, the months of the months of the year were renamed after. I don't even remember what he renamed the, the days of the month. Certain holidays he created or changed. Um, cities he's changed. There's statues that rotate towards the sun, and it's statues of him, golden statues. Um, so it was, it was the cult of personality, and you don't see anything else outside of that. Um, so it's that's just the reality of life out there we have our tv so if you watch our television there we say if you want to see paradise on earth just watch local television because that's how it is um but at least he was better than the current one so he died in 2006 right before i moved december december something of 2006 and the new guy took over, which, who was a former dentist turned architect, and he just started building out the city. So, and if people will figure out which country it is, great. I'm just, I just don't want to name it. It's on the Guinness World of Records for having the most marble um, in the city. And it's, yes, it's beautiful, but nobody lives in those structures because nobody can afford it. So, he just what he does he lines up all of the departments he's like the judge and the executioner and he just berates them openly on tv um people bowed to him people started kissing his hand now it's yeah it, it's absurd when you watch it and that's just how it is i mean there is no middle class it's just either you're rich or you're poor, the rich are primarily related to oil or gas because we are rich in those resources. Um, and I mean that that's that. That's just. And this is a is. this is a this is a communist dictatorship. Is that kind of the the government? Is that how the government set up basically? Yeah. Authoritarian. Authoritarian. Yeah, it, it definitely used to be communist, and then in 1991 when the Soviet Union fell apart and everyone started becoming independent, they became, I mean, it's still similar, 100%, but it's more of a dictatorship at this point. So how talk did, the, when, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, rewind ahead. and talk about the quality of life. Um, you guys didn't have uh, hot water, or what was that again? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so 
at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m., that's when you get the water. And we only have uh, cold water. We don't have hot water in, in this country, not in Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan had hot water, um, which was great. So at 8 a.m., you wake up, you fill up whatever you have, right? All the buckets, everything. Typically, you don't have indoor plumbing. You have outdoor bathrooms, for example, which is just like a hole in... <laughs> You get it. Um, oh, helps, yeah. And then drinking water, you have to. So we would get the, you know, your five liter, the blue bottles. We'd usually take them and go to the local factory, which was like a water filtration factory, to get to get drinking water, and then you bring it back to to your house. Um, you could get TV, like international television, if you buy satellite dishes. So that's very popular back there. Um, and it's not a monthly service. There's nothing monthly service type um, in those countries. You don't have credit cards. Everything's by cash. Um, salaries. So I worked a little bit as a waitress. It was $23 a month. Pensions are like $50 a month. Nobody can afford anything. Um, back in the day, electricity and gas used to be free with the old president. But with the new one, they they eliminated that. So people are really struggling. I hear people are um, starving, which is new to us because we are rich in, you know, certain vegetation that used to be free. Like we used to have National Watermelon Day, National Melon Day, and it would be literally trucks driving, delivering melons and watermelons. Um, during the transition from Soviet times i remember we had these booklets of bread and milk and it was rationed based on your family size and to get milk you would have to stay by the door of the store so i remember mom going at like 4 a.m and we usually sleep on these thin mats that you could roll up um so she would take that and she'll say hey i'll, I'll be right back and you know and I would know, oh, she's by the store trying to get the milk or the bread that that's rationed to us. It was free, but it was rationed, just like um, I'm assuming Venezuela was doing similar, similar things. Um, so, I mean, there's things that can be imported. I mean, especially if you're in a capital city, things are better, especially for foreigners. Um, although I've heard that it's became more landlocked than it used to be, like it's it's hard to get in. And like I said, when I got my family out, we still have properties there that we just it was worth leaving and getting them out while I could. Um, so I still have to go back to sell if I will be able to sell those two properties and you know use that money to get my mom situate and get her a house or something what is there as far as economy there as far as work for the for the people and how does that is it is there anything for people to do so until the new president came along which was 2007 a lot of okay so we're talking about uh legal jobs right legally best jobs would be obviously in the gas sector oil sector which there's a lot of nepotism there's a lot of bribery i mean you would 
just to get an interview, you usually pay the company to get you to be interviewed. You have to live in the capital. So that stamp that I told you about, the residency stamp, that stamp is supposed to have an address within the capital. If you have an address outside of the capital, they automatically deny you. Um, so the best jobs would be for foreigners. If you if you speak the language, that kind of bypasses you. Um, but as far as like your everyday jobs, like um, hairstylist, waitress, I don't know. It, immediately, you you cannot survive. There's just no way. It's it's so poor, and so a lot of people before 2007 were selling heroin. So we had a huge epidemic with heroin because of the uh, route through Afghanistan. So a lot of that drug trade went through us and it just burned through the country. I mean, I have, I mean, like I said, my mom was addicted. My uncle on my dad's side, completely addicted to it. Uh, my grandma was selling it. So it's either you're selling or you're using. And that's what a lot of people did to, to survive. And then the new president came along. He completely cleaned that up to his credit but then a lot of people switched to vodka to alcohol we don't have rehab facilities there is no treatment or exit valve out of the drug um, epidemic so a lot of people just switched to alcohol and the problem with there is there are some drug facilities but they it make it makes it even worse it didn't make it even better i mean they were trying to get you more addicted on other substances just to keep you around. So nothing is for the people. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And I mean, anybody from the outside can basically see why there's going to be a drug problem, no matter what the drug is, there's always going to be a drug problem because there's no meaning. There's no meaning there for those people. There's no, there's nothing for them to do. There's no ability for them to better themselves or take care of their family or advance in life. They're just, they're numbing themselves to their to their existence, which is, is sad, but you see something like that. And you can almost, you can almost imagine if a president were to come in and kind of build that purpose in for the people and grow the country in a positive way, it would be a lot less of a drug problem to deal with because there's more to do. Mm -hmm. There's more improvement there. Yeah. Um, so you come here, you go to school, you, I mean, because of everything that you've been through, I'm sure, I'm sure you probably threw yourself into everything that you could do here. I did. Um, what's the culture, what's the culture shock like? So when I, when I moved here, like I said, it was just, it, it was like a dream. I mean, I don't want to, but I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, it was, it was like a dream. I, I remember being afraid to wake up and, and be back in my country because people were so nice. People are smiling. That's another thing. That's one thing I had to learn what to, how to do. We don't smile in our country, especially as a woman. If you look a man in the face, in, in the eyes, and you smile, that means you want something. <laughs> so for me, it, was, it took a while to learn that because usually I, I look very stern. <laughs> Just like hearing the, that I have RBF, it's like, yes. What do, what do you want from me? That's how we grow up. Um, but when I moved here, it was like, okay, can I work? And yes, there were limitations. Like it was only 20 hours per 
job, but I found a loophole. I could work multiple jobs and stack them up. I worked like four or five jobs immediately. Um, scholarships, I got like, I used to have six to 10 scholarships at a time because I would just go to each department and just apply. I mean, school, school in itself, I mean, you could study as much as you want. Um, so I would, even the summers, I would just double up on my school studies so I could graduate faster or with multiple degrees so I could get my family out. I mean, that was my goal. I need to get my family out. And so I, you know, I moved, I had $600 with me. And I mean, little by little with, with nothing else, but like help of the people, got my family out. I take care of my mom and my brother now. I was taking care of my sister. She's now on her own. And my brother's 21 now. He was 10, 11 when he moved here. He fully speaks English. He's only speaking English because it's easier for us to speak English at this point. And he wants to be a Marine. I mean, that's his dream at this point. So, yeah, this is, I don't think people understand like what they're complaining about because they've never been truly outside of this country um, and seen countries like my country. I mean, when I, I, last time I went back in 2009, the first week that you were there, it's just, it's just depression. I mean, you just go through the, this dark valley of, I hope I could get out because they could do anything they want, honestly. I mean, laws change overnight over there and nobody can know what to do with it. But I wanted to wait until I'm an American citizen before going back because as an American, it's pretty much you have golden immunity out there. No one's going to touch you. So. You mean to tell me that in this country, you can go as far as you want if you put the work in? And nobody, nobody seems to understand <laughs> that here. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. We're spoiled here for sure. It, it's interesting because the fact that the fact that that we think we know we're spoiled right if you actually think about it but that's us that's us few people here that understand what it what it can be like and how bad it can get but it's amazing in the of the human psychology that we can get completely comfortable and think that that anything is okay i talked to a gentleman last week that grew up in belfast during the civil war and the IRA was car bombing right outside his his high school. And he's like, we didn't know that wasn't normal. Mm -hmm. Like literally bombs going off in cars that were blowing up multiple storefronts right outside your high school. And you're like, well, another one went off today. Like mm -hmm. the fact that our minds can get so comfortable with that, but that they, they can also get so comfortable with like, well, I'm going to wait 20 minutes for my fucking Starbucks. Like yeah. it's it's astonishing. Um. What do you think, how have you used your past and how basically dark it was when you grew up to then motivate you because you're a businesswoman now? Mm -hmm. Correct. Tell us about that. Well, I don't know how, how deep you want to get into the personal aspect of my life because deep as you want to go alongside with what's going on with the country. The shit show that is my family is a whole different dynamic. Um, I'll bring up, I guess, a couple of points that are on cue with what's going on in our country. Um, just so people get some perspective. 
when they say things like, oh, I'm pro-choice, for example. So my, my parents met in college. Um, my dad was a resident assistant at a dorm where they lived together, not together, but in, in the same building. And there was an incident that happened that where my mom needed to stay with my dad. So she asked him if she could spend the night. So she brought her mattress, stayed there, um, woke up in blood, hurting, and and he said, well, you were so beautiful, I just couldn't help myself. And when my mom told me this, I'm like, so you were raped. That's rape. And culturally, the difference, and that's one of the differences between our cultures, there's, we romanticize, like a, a man being, I don't know, not being able to contain himself. Because for mom, it was like, oh, he was, he was so enamored with me, he couldn't help himself. I'm like, that's rape. So I'm a product of rape, if, if you want to look at it that way. So they went to an abortion clinic. The doctor wasn't there that day. The following day, mom changed her mind. And 36 years later, I'm taking care of my mom. So if you're arguing from the point of pro-choice, saying, well, what about rape? I will argue back, what about rape? Because I am one of those examples of where, yes, it happens. It usually happens with someone that they know. And oftentimes, um, this is the result. So that's, I guess, there's no way, no other way to start my origin, right? But that story. And then my mom was Russian. She was from Siberia. She moved to this country um, back when it was under Soviet rule. My dad was predominantly Muslim. So she considered herself Christian. He was Muslim. And when they try to be together, the the dynamic in the between the two cultures was just insane. I mean, in, in the Muslim country, for example, she was supposed to eat by herself in the kitchen. She was supposed to make dinner and lunch but then stay in the kitchen as a young bride because that's what you do and the family eats by themselves um all together and so mom mom tried to escape their house several times because most of my family are either cops or military although all of them are military there you have to serve for two years it's a mandatory requirement they would keep catching her at the train station she was trying to escape to russia so the third time she was successful, and that's how I was born in Russia. I was born in Siberia. Um, there's some things that happened. My dad was on his deathbed. He liked to drive drunk. So my dad had um, that history with alcohol, and he liked to drive drunk. So he was on his deathbed, and they said they sent a telegram to Siberia. And for those that don't know, telegram is like a piece of paper that gets delivered by a person before we had phones or anything. And it said, Shavidu's on his deathbed. He wants to see his only child. Can you come back? And it took my mom four months to come back to Central Asia. And at that point, he was already recovering. And that's how they reunited. Um, but I, I almost wish she didn't because that dynamic was so, so horrible. I mean, he used to beat my mom senselessly. I mean, it was, it was like, um, 
it could be anything, right? It, would, it could be, you know, that rod that holds the clothing in the closet. So he would grab that or the hose from the washing machine. He would use that to beat her. And the worst part was in that culture, you do not intervene. So the police won't intervene. The family won't intervene because it's a family matter and it's your husband. So you just, so I remember like asking people for help crying because my mom's getting beaten and my family's just sitting there hearing my mom crying because we all lived in one house and it was just like a, a regular Tuesday and we're watching TV with my mom getting beaten. So it was a lot of that. And eventually what, what started happening is I started developing I don't know how to word it properly. Attraction for death. So I I started to develop curiosity for death and what 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 happens if you uh, hurt an animal, right? So I have an episode in my childhood that I remember when we went back to Siberia. I was molested by a family member. Um, I don't know how many times, but. I remember just twice and from that I remember just having an urge to to kill something but like like an animal so I remember breaking into our neighbor's house grabbing their granddaughter who was I think a year younger than me making her watch it which is insane in itself but I made her grab a chick like a little chicken and I had an axe and I would hack its head off and it was a clean kill. And I was like, okay, get me another one. She got me another one. And I only killed it like halfway. And I remember something woke up in me like compassion because it was convulsing. And I remember thinking, what am I doing? This is a living being that I'm hurting. That's innocent. This isn't right. I'm so glad it happened because I don't know how far that would have led me in my curiosity and that was that was the end of that but I remember having that fascination for a while even in U.S. just just like murder and dead bodies I mean there's special websites for that and um you know and that goes along with my faith and like getting saved and and like just working through your own shit in your life and what you've been through and why why do you do certain things that you do as a result of what happened to you? So I don't know if that answers your question, but Yeah. I it, it it's funny because I think you kind of just got to the point of like why serial killer documentaries are probably like the most popular thing for every chick ever. They just all want to watch and listen to serial killer documentaries right. and podcasts. But um it was it it kind of it was interesting to hear you talk about how because of the islamic culture there were so many specific things that they followed like the like like your mother having to make dinner and then sit in the kitchen but then it's like then we're only going to and and this happens with a lot of religious people is drinking is forbidden when it comes to islam correct yes but so but go ahead a lot of them are cultural muslims they don't follow it so a lot of them do drink 
Yeah. And it's just, it's, it, it's interesting. Cause it's like, we can, we can pick and choose which part of the culture yeah. we're going to follow if it's beneficial to us. But if it's not beneficial to us, then we're just going to ignore that part of it. And, and it, it would, that, that kind of struck out as me as you, as you were, as you were talking about that. Um, so then how, how are you now with seeing what that's like there? Is it, I'm sure it's still amazing to be here, but are, have you, are you to the point now where you're, you're kind of comfortable here and you, and you, you don't, are you still scared of what goes on there? I guess, basically. Yes, but I'm more scared of what's going on here. Um, so I, it's interesting when I moved here and I think a lot of people go through this progression where you're young, you're in college, you think you're a Democrat, you're, you know, you're like, yes, whoever it was, like when Obama won, that was so great. The first black president, we're all on board with it because we're young and dumb. Um, no one really gets into the details. And then for me, I mean, I've never thought of politics per se. I mean, I've never even discussed it with my husband up until 2019, which was Kavanaugh's hearing. I don't know why, but I just, I believe that man. I mean, he was Christian. I, I believe he's Christian. I believe he was saying that, you know, speaking the truth. And it just killed me how they were attacking him. And I'm like, this is obviously, obviously he's speaking the truth. Like it's, it was very evident to me. And so it was just like red pilling myself, just like going through videos of, it was Milo and it was uh, Ben Shapiro and then others and debates. And I'm like, yes, I agree with all of these things. I didn't know that's conservative. So I remember going to my husband saying, how come you didn't speak to me about this? Like you would have been okay if I'm a liberal. <laughs> He's like, well, I knew you would come around someday. I'm like, this is insane. I, right now, looking back at it now, it's funny how much life has changed since Trump was in office. And now it's just, it's such a stark difference. And it's primarily from the other side. Because here I am, technically, I, I live in California. I'm a woman. I'm a um I'm of ethnic background that's considered a minority, right? So a lot of people assume I'm a liberal or I'm a Democrat. And then I bring up certain things that I'm like, no, I'm I'm conservative. I'm pro-life. I don't apologize for it. And it's immediately, oh, you're a bitch. You are Trumpican. I, I mean, I had my car keyed. A person walked out during a business meeting. And then I find my car with, you know, with an X mark on it. And, and I'm just like shocked at, at the response because usually we're open to having a dialogue on our side, but they're not. And it's like, why not? I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you're comfortable in who you are and, and what you believe in, we could at least have a dialogue. At least that's how I look at and, it. Yeah, and, and, and the people that are the loudest and the most arrogant, um, I guess not mo most arrogant, but that are, that are the, the people that just scream louder when you're trying to argue with them, but they still don't have any points. The problem with those people is that they're, they're, 
they're emotionally tied to something so strong that there's no ability for them to see the other side. And their entire identity is tied to the conversation that you're having. So you can't just have that conversation and show them your point, because if you show them their point, then their entire identity crumbles on into dust because it's all married to that. Whereas, you know, someone like myself, who I guess is, I'm, I'm even more of a libertarian than I am anything. Just stay the fuck out of my business and I'll stay the fuck out of your business. Um, with a little bit of the fact that we do need government, we do need some regulation, we do need some taxes to pay for roads and stuff like that. So I'm not an extreme libertarian, but Mm -hmm. you have to be able to have this dance, this give and this take, because there are both sides of the aisle, the the classical liberal and the classical conservative, where um, the classical liberal is making sure that we're taking care of the people in society that need to be taken care of and the classical conservative is making sure that we're not giving to a bunch of people who don't need it just because they're lazy right and it's this it's this dance where we kind of flow back and forth but the problem is is on both sides we've lost that flow and it's more just screaming into our own echo chambers partially because of yes a lot of the stuff that Milo Yiannopoulos said made sense but Yes, he was also a fucking douchebag. Like both of those right. things can be right. can be true. Agreed. And, and 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 the fact that the fact that somebody like you or I or Martin having a thoughtful conversation about these topics is not trendworthy or 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 ridiculous enough to to get a bunch of clicks and votes and upvotes and views and stuff like that is part of what's damaging our country because people on both sides that say the most extreme shit are the ones that are getting played the most because it is extreme shit and it's shareable. But in all reality, I think that when you get away from LA, Chicago, New York, you know, Austin, um, I, I, I still have faith that the majority of people are reasonably balanced and reasonably intelligent and we all agree on a lot of the same things the problem is that the people in charge Mm -hmm. are not necessarily so that's where we need to focus is on the people in charge and in like this election i could easily vote for rfk or i could easily vote for vivek ramaswamy Mm -hmm. like both of those two people on the opposite sides of the aisle, I could easily vote for. I would vote for a ticket between the two of them who are would never happen other than an independent ticket. Mm-hmm. But then you have the extremisms on both ends who, yeah, if I have to vote for the lesser of two evils, I will, okay. but I don't really want to, which is why we need the primaries are so much more important. So I guess that's what I'm getting at here is that we need to pay more attention and organize more and get our hands dirty more on the lower end and not just go out to that one, you know, Tuesday in November and vote for the lesser of two evils and then go wash my hands of it. I didn't do any, I couldn't help. Cause we have that ability. Whereas I'm guessing in your home country that that's not even a possibility, right? Like those people are probably just put into place. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And plus our culture is very collectivist. So it's, 
you do you shut up and you do what's best for the greater good and what is the greater good no one knows at that point because we're so suppressed and we're used to it to where no one is brave enough here that's a different story it's you're an individual first and out of that individuality you love your country you want it to be good you want it to flourish and that's why a lot of people react the way they do i agree with you in terms of us at more on the conservative side we're just very you know we'll we'll bitch and moan about it but we're not burning down buildings and lighting up cars we're just going to go about our life and we'll just say okay next one and and I'm, i i don't know what the solution is cuz obviously the other party is completely different in what they're doing to us it's reasonable to have a conversation and say i I respect you. I don't agree with you, but I'll still respect you for it. For them, it's almost like you're you're not a human being, you're like a creature that you don't take into consideration, you don't reason with because you're so polar opposite of me. Like me saying I'm pro-life, the reactions I get, it, I, it's like I'm a terrorist. How dare you? I mean, I had women screaming yeah i had an abortion yesterday and not yesterday last week and and i'm so happy that i did then what the fuck are you crying 5 minutes into the dialogue where i ask you about it if you're so happy about it and it's just it's it's absolutely absurd i've i've never seen it play out like this and i think there's more going beyond this i think we're being played by other countries and we're just can get out of our own way to realize it and and how far is this going to go and i've told this to martin many times i mean i'm i'm the type of person i'm like waiting for it to burn down to the ground like any day now the collapse is coming um but i mean i hope it doesn't i mean I, there's a reason why i moved to this country versus europe um it it's just so unique what we have here yet we don't cherish it and they're winning i mean they've you know i don't know if you've seen that russian spy that was discussing how they have this decades long plan of how to alter our mindsets and you start at the university level and we've all heard what's going on with the universities right i, I don't know how how do you change that uh it's yeah first of all i mean Go ahead. It's unless you, I think there's a lack of perspective in the nation right now. And it's, it goes back to that saying where good times make soft men. Um, right. If you don't right. have the per perspective of hardship or have seen, I mean, even as something as simple as a missions trip, you know, you don't have to go through the hardship, but if you're exposed to it, then you realize, oh crap, this is what we have and this is what we need to work to save it. We're almost like, hardship you know creates some level of maturity and we just yeah. lack that in society so we have a bunch of adult kids basically they're just yeah. you know throwing temper tantrums so unless we have something dramatic happen like 2000 2001 i mean i was in uzbekistan when that happened 911 and even to us i mean we were crying because we're not american back then but america was this beacon of light and freedom and to see that on tv 
the attack. I, it was so shocking. Um, and I know from the stories, a lot of people mobilized here and what people wanted to go enlist and protect the country, right? And all of that spurred out of it. And I'm, I'm wondering if this is what this is what it takes to get that balance back of the pride of, you know, no, this is the country that we want to be in. This is what we cherish. I mean, I'm hopeful that, I'm hopeful that it's going to be okay, that we're, we're going to persevere this because again, there's certain things we have that are so unique to us that nobody else has, like, like guns. Yesterday I had a meeting with uh, a guy from UK and he was just, he could not grasp the second amendment right. And why do you need the guns? This is so ridiculous and absurd. I'm like, because you don't understand why we cherish it. And I was trying to explain it to him and he's like, well, I guess we are very judgmental because we don't understand. We, and I'm like, yeah, you don't. It's a right that we greatly cherish. It comes with great responsibility. Don't look just on the news of idiots that you see that left their gun and the kid got it and shoot him, shot himself rather. Um, that's not an average American with a gun. I mean, we average American with a gun fully understands why they have it and, and the responsibility that comes with it. And that's what I like about us. I mean, if push, push comes to shove, we have the greatest military here and that's the citizens. I mean, if you, like just the thought of, in my country, people mobilizing, standing up for the country. Forget about it. That would never happen. People will say, thank God, who's, who's next? Who's coming in? Versus here, you are willing to die without knowing even the outcome of that fight or the result of it. Like that's, it's so unique, so different. Um, and again, it's sad that people don't, don't understand it unless you've been through some hardships and you move here, which is why a lot of, a lot of foreigners that move here, especially like, I don't know if I'm considered the generation zero since I'm the first, first one, not generation one, right? That's my kids. I'm assuming, you know what I'm talking about? Um, yeah, I'll be, yeah. So I'll be interested to see how your kids, how your kids develop because I know, um, a lot of families that I know, uh, the parents that come here from hardship, um, have great respect for the country and somehow that gets lost between generation zero and generation one and generation one, not all the time, but in a lot of the families that I know, generation one ends up almost having this, um, owed to me attitude that comes from well my parents came here and now i'm owed all of this and it's this weird and this and i think a lot of it depends on parenting right it's not necessarily mm -hmm. um every single family but it's definitely lost in a lot of 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 transient families that do come here between generation zero and generation one yeah this is where i'll say something controversial i think it's important to have some hardships and some of this trauma that you go through um maybe not to the extent that i had for example because it's a different story but it's important to you know sometimes yell at your kids maybe spank them a little bit that's 
that's good for them. Like my my intent is to send my kids back to my country to experience the sheer horror that is Central Asia. Um, just like your basics of, I mean, the light could be out for weeks and tough titty, light a candle. Like that was the fun part of it, right? That's how we grew up. There's no hot water, so you're showering in cold water. You're boiling water to shower. Or there's no bleach, so you boil your white clothes with some soap to bleach it out or bleach out the stains. Um, things like that. It's Yes, it was a pain in the ass, but it built the grit that, like, to this day, I, I have hot water and I'm in the shower. I'm like, this is so good. This is so great so glad it's not cold water anymore right but unless you've been through that it's just hard to appreciate it and unfortunately it's it's hard to find that balance because i appreciate the men and women that died for this country how they fought during the revolution and you know they wanted to create this country for a reason the way that it is and so in the sense you've paid for all those comforts Right. So, yes, enjoy them. But how do you still maintain that balance of appreciating it? Mandatory civil service in high school. That's a good one. I agree, actually. Mandatory service, mandatory civil service in high school. And I get I get this from Woke Inc. Vivek's book. And so I I can't take credit for this, but mandatory civil service in high school, you know, uh, a month, a summer or something to that effect. What that does is it does it does what you want to do with your kids, right? It shows them hardship, mm-hmm. but it doesn't only show them hardship. It draws them together and builds that that uh, e pluribus unum, right? The from many is one. Mm-hmm. It builds that that connection moving forward because everyone has that common ground to stand on. It's not I did it because um, I, it looked good on my resume, or I did it you know, to take a picture. I did it to, to post on social media. It's, it's mandatory. You have to do it the same way that you have to go to school. Yeah. Um, and I think that would, that would be huge in our country. Yeah. And uh, okay. mandatory two years military. Mandatory two years military, maybe, um, or mandatory, mandatory of service. So it wouldn't even, if you wanted to do, you know, if you wanted to do something as far as EMS for two years or something, something like that, I don't, I don't know that you need to have mandatory military service the way that, um, Israel does, because I think part of the reason that Israel has that, and it's there, even the percentage of people that are, that are partaking in that in Israel has gone down drastically. Um, but they're, you know, they're constantly being bombed by their neighbor. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think there should be two years service just because it gets you out of that that box that you grew up in, and uh, you know you're under uh, Daddy Uncle Sam for a while, let him beat on you. Yeah, I agree, but that's also that's also another kind of social welfare that or you know financial welfare that I don't necessarily know that we need. Twenty four months of paying for three hundred million people's shit. So yeah, that's the libertarian in you. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah. All right, I think that I think that we got a lot. Oh, oh, I had one more question. Who who was your um most influential person here in the United States when you got here that that really kept you going? 
there's two women that that helped me to get into us or with with certain things in us first one was my sponsor she was my high school teacher um we didn't have an agreement of any kind she didn't make me sign anything she just said you know i hope you get here you, you'll go to school and then you'll pay me back and so it was just on the good word which which is crazy i mean i could have said fuck you afterwards and and that would be it um so she got me she got me here and she helped me out and then a second woman when my dad passed and i had to get my sister out cuz at that point she hasn't been in school for years she's becoming almost a mute um and that was 2009 i just randomly told her like a bits pieces of my of my story and trying to get my family out and like a week later she brings me this envelope of cash and a letter from her church and saying hey we're we want to bless you to go back and get your sister out and i was just in shock cuz you know me two visits you know we just barely met each other and just to have so much faith in in someone that you barely met that's like such a such an american thing where you would never see that in my country there's there's no concept of donations for example or giving to the poor it, it was just I mean I was shocked and that gave me the courage to go back and get my sister out. So the first person I got out was my sister in 2009. So those those two women and it's again it was just like people with just regular everyday people, one is a high school teacher, the other one's um secretary at an office that just you know helped me out and got me to this point. There's good people left in the world. Oh yeah. Definitely. Awesome. Thank you, Yessa. I really appreciate everything. And uh Martin, you got anything else? No, I'm good. Good to hear. Good to, good to see you again. Good to see you guys. Business uh, light. <laughs> right. Right. There's a lot I didn't that I didn't touch on or discuss and maybe someday we will. Because there's there's certain things that I I think I I see why we're struggling with things like um transgenderism and the kids why are they approaching kids um here and, and where is it stemming from because some of it has touched my life and so you know someday if you're willing to invite me back we can we can discuss like pornography and and women and how it affects a lot of women more than men know and nobody i don't see that anybody really talks about it that much cuz it's a bit more taboo than with men um and where it leads you to and in, in certain things that even like women preferring crime shows and and why is it such um so prevalent at this point i i think i can understand why and we could share more about that later actually leave us going to make a point on the uh the transgenderism and the gender confusion is uh, look at the playbook that uh, Mao had about turning the population asexual. So if you uh, Google that and reference that and then compare that to what's going on right now, I think uh, you kind of understand what's happening. Yeah. I think that there's also quite the possibility that we just, everyone needs something to live for they need a a a a power bigger than themselves and i think that if somebody does not have that 
as far as their spirituality, um, I think that it becomes an activism and we have it too fucking good in our country that we're kind of searching for things to be act to, to be activists about. And I think that's where a lot of the, um, I think that's where a lot of the, the, the support for all of these different isms come from is people just need a, they need a, a, a something to, something to get behind. Yeah. I think some higher but, uh, government power is uh, helping that a little bit. So just well, look up what I'm on right? All right. Sounds <laughs> good. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right.